Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. My name is Dan Cottrell and I'm delighted to have with me Assistant Academy Manager at Bath, George Tavener. Welcome to the podcast, George. Thanks, Dan. It's nice to be here. Yes, and great to have you with us. Uh, I've known George for a little while now, and we've had some very good and in-depth discussions about rugby and coaching and all things to do with uh, youth rugby. And that's in part because George is a very experienced coach in top-flight youth rugby, first with one of the best UK college teams uh, out there, and now working with English Premiership Team Bath as the Assistant Academy Manager. Now, I know that George is a keen advocate of challenging players to improve through games and player empowerment. So this podcast is recorded after a great weekend of Six Nations Rugby when Scotland did indeed beat England. But it's actually super rugby I want to focus on. And for those who may be not so familiar with it, super rugby is the competition down in the Southern Hemisphere between New Zealand sides, Australian sides, South African, Argentinian, Japanese club franchises. So I'm going to pose this question over to George in a moment. And it just seems to me that Super Rugby um, looks like a cut above Northern Hemisphere rugby in terms of skills and excitement. So what are we missing? What can we coach differently? Or is this just a myth? So let's start with this. Is Super Rugby just a better game of rugby? I think it's a very interesting question, Dan. I think, I think it's very entertaining to watch. I think you can't argue that the Super Rugby um, is fast, there's high skill levels involved, and there's great ambition from the players to play. But it's just very different from our leagues. I think there's lots of reasons for that, and different people like different things. Um, but yeah, definitely, it's, it's a very entertaining brand of rugby to watch. So that, that begs the question, or that really sets up the question is that... Uh, Aren't our leagues um, not giving us the best outcomes for seeing exciting rugby? Yeah, I think I think that's um, a good point of discussion. Um, certainly, with leagues, it's a double-edged sword. Really, in, in one breath, why do people like enjoy coming to watch the Premiership? Um, one of the reasons is because of how competitive it is. You know, you only have to look at the Premiership table. There's eight teams that currently could fit eight or nine teams that could currently finish in the top four which is obviously extremely exciting for players to watch. However, with the pressure of the leagues, um, perhaps the opportunities for you to play with the freedom that you see in the Super Rugby is is not as frequent. And definitely you see more tries and more ambition to play in Super Rugby than you do in Premiership. But uh, And that may, you could argue, be caused by the pressure of the leagues, but certainly the leagues give, give, the, give the competition excitement as well. So there's interesting here, there's a bit of a trade-off then on the types of excitement. There's excitement where you see some fantastically high level of super skill, or you see a skill executed under pressure when you've got a whole nation breathing down your neck to perform. Is that, is that, the, is that the difference? Yeah, I think certainly... Um... There's, it's really exciting to watch games where it's one point either way, one mistake um, and can lead to you either winning or losing a game. Um, and I think that's one of the really exciting things about the Premiership. However, 
when you watch the freedom that you see the super rugby players play with in terms of the width they put on the game, the tempo they put on the game, you know, um, that's also exciting. And again, it's just it's just what, what you as an individual really enjoy watching. And, and certainly I, I, I can see the merits in both. So if they're putting so much width and tempo in their games, is that something that we won't see or it can't be possible in sort of rugby that we watch on the television and probably more so for some of the guys who are listening in, guys and girls who are listening in and coaching their sides, that they can't employ themselves in their coaching and in their team with their teams? I, I think the, th- the thing too, we, we need to really focus on skill in our game. And I definitely think this is happening in our hemisphere and we're certainly catching up. You only need to look at some forms in Scotland beating um, Australia heavily in the summer. England have beaten these teams consistently. I think the game is very different over here. So, for example, I think the breakdown is far more contested over here than it is over there. So the speed of the ball that's generated in Super Rugby is much better. I, I also think that our set piece, there's more emphasis on the set piece work. And you, you, know, you, you only have to look at what the Lions did to a lot of the Super Rugby scrums on the recent tour to see that you know, clearly we've got an advantage in that area of the game at the moment. However, um, you, you know, it's it definitely, as coaches, I think we need to push the boundaries and we need to develop skill and push our players and encourage them to play at a tempo that is pleasing on the eye. Okay, so we got uh, the idea of uh, a pleasing on the eye tempo, um, and it would be lovely to turn around to a coach and say, "Let's have pleasing on the eye rugby." Yet yeah, you're a head coach of a youth team. Um, I've got a choice: let's have pleasing on the eye, or as you're perhaps suggesting, we should spend that extra ten minutes on set piece as opposed to maybe a developmental game which improves our decision making. No, I think I think that no, I, I definitely wouldn't be spending a lot of time in set piece and sessions. I, you know, I, I think the challenge for coaches is to replicate um, training. Should replicate games. So if we train slow, we're likely to train to play slowly um, and plod around the pitch. I think there's definitely an emphasis in the way the game's going. The game's only going to get faster. The skill levels are only going to get greater. So we need to train like that. So the more we can play in games and getting players making decisions in training and the more we can coach on the run rather than having lots of huddles, the better these players are going to be at adapting and dealing with the pressures that they encounter in, in a match day situation. So um, not that um, we're trying to exactly replicate Super Rugby, uh, but I'm just interested in uh, your idea of coaching on the run as opposed to huddles. What does that mean? What does that look like? So traditionally, you, um, as coaches, you may have seen a lot in this country of um, a practice taking place um, and the coach stopping the practice to get the players into a huddle to basically put forward his one or two key learning points or draw out of the players one or two learning points that he wants to focus on in the next part of the session. The idea of coaching on the run is actually the game's constantly fast the points you make in a huddle may and are often not relevant to every single person in the team so the idea of coaching on the run is while the session is going on you pose questions or you speak to players while the game is being played to get points across which makes them think and makes them start to try and come up with solutions to beat the game um and yeah definitely right 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 just you've you've thrown in a, a classic piece of jargon there and what's beat the game i'm fascinated by that i'm going to come back to uh, some of the other points so what do you mean by beat the game 
So um, definitely the game is about decision making and it's about coming up with solutions. So as coaches, the, sometimes the, um, the easy thing to do is use guided questions to to, to guide players towards the answer, so they can so they can get an advantage in the game. The, the challenging thing, and the th- the way we can make players think more, is asking them questions or posing problems within the game, which they've got to beat to try and come up with an advantage for their team. So that you know, in, in how in how to win the game. And I think um, definitely there's some um, really good practices going on now throughout. Um, this, for the Northern Hemisphere, like we're, we're, we're definitely catching up. There's much and really good examples of games-based coaching going on throughout the country now. And I think that you know you only have to look at some of the junior age grade teams and how successful they've been to see that there is definitely transfer from this type of coaching. So uh, I'm interested in the idea of success here, uh, but I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Can you give me an example of when you would intervene because? Uh, there's a danger that we spend most of our time shouting or talking during the game. When do you intervene? What sort of interventions? Can you give us some examples of what you might have done or what you might do? Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest roles of the coach in the modern game is as, is as, as an observer rather than someone who's constantly putting points on or, as you said, shouting up advice. The players are the ones playing the game. So, what would it look like? Um, it might, it may look like you just walking past a player and asking him um, 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 why he made the decision he made, rather than and getting his response. To that it may be um, you putting a challenge on a player, so putting um, some sort of um, challenge, like how many challenge them how many times they can touch the ball, how many times they can insert the ball, get them thinking about the game differently. Um, within the game um, you may put people against each other so you may have like mini contests going on in the game so there might be a game going on and you might have the centres competing on who can get the most breakdowns in the game or, so there's little things that are going on constantly that are little games going on within the bigger picture of the, of the whole game So what? But, uh, how are they actually building on skills then because uh, they're getting good decision making opportunities and they're understanding scenarios yet uh, my sense of what's happening in the southern hemisphere is they're working very hard on specific skills um, to really up upskill the players to make them be able to make those decisions but also to make them uh, make them faster so is there a role for just standing there passing a ball between two players for 10 minutes well not 10 minutes but maybe for a period of time but not having a game uh, I, I don't I don't think uh, there's definitely uh, times where you need to have repetition for, for skill to happen you definitely need to repeat things however the more you can do it in a game situation I think and I believe the more transfer you'll get so I'll give an example um, you, you can pass the ball backs and forwards as much as you like but the difference between me and you doing it, Dan, compared to two of the best players in the country wouldn't be that great. However, um, if if um, we were passing the ball back and forth at full pace with pressure of defenders against us, then you would see a big difference between the elite players and me, me, and, me and you doing it because um, skill is actually... Skill actually works by, by 
performing is performing an action under pressure. So definitely in all our sort of skill development activities, we need to create opportunities where, where we're actually putting players under pressure because that's when there'll be transfer moving into games. So I'm interested in this idea of pressure then because pressure suggests that skills are put to their fullest test. And when a player is under extreme pressure, they will find it hardest to replicate the skill. Now, is that why, just to turning, uh, turning back to the original question, is that why in Super Rugby they seem to be able to pull off these skills more often and more accurately? Or is there something else that we're missing here? Um, I, no, I, I don't think we're missing things. I, th- I think that definitely they're comfortable playing under pressure. And I think definitely the challenge for us as coaches and developing players is we need to create situations where players are under pressure, even if that means at times it's a bit of a mess. You need to give players time to get out of that mess. Um, and, and that's where skill will be developed. Um, you can do something over and over and over, and they can be really good at doing that, that's, that action without any pressure. But that doesn't mean it's a skill. In order for them to be good at something and actually be able to transfer it onto a game, they need to be used to doing it under pressure consistently. And I think the challenge for us as coaches is definitely to create games, to create situations where the players have to problem solve. They have to work things out and they have to um, get better at it. And I think that's how skill development. Definitely, you look at the super rugby players and some of the freedom they play with and some of the skill they consistently demonstrate, they're clearly creating um, opportunities for them to do that in training. So when it comes to a game, it becomes easy. So uh, I'm interested then, then what's the balance of training then? I mean, it does depend on your side, but let's say that most sides have got uh, one and a half sessions a week to work on their uh, their skill development because half a session has to be given over to match preparation. So you've got that sort of amount of time. What, what's the balance of your training in order to sort of achieve some of these uh, outcomes? Um, I, I, I definitely think you've got to have a balance, like you said. I think you're right with that, Dan. Um, I think you know if we if we start with the with the point that generally in this country we we've been criticised that we've put too much emphasis on structure, too much emphasis on organisation, and not enough emphasis on decision making. I definitely think there's been a huge shift to away from drills and more into playing games. And, you know, there's been lots of positive... Um, some of the players were producing... You only had to watch the Scotland performance at the weekend. Some fantastic uh, enterprise in the way Scotland play. And they're not the only team that's playing that sort of brand of rugby. Um, I, I think they're um, definitely within sessions, while some of it might be games-based, some of it is skill development activities on the side. So you do need to break out. So I would definitely look at... Um, playing a game, then breaking out to really get good at doing a skill development activity to get good at doing, get, get good at, good at the skill and then see whether we can transfer it back to the game under pressure. But definitely we need a balance because if all you do is play games, then they, are they getting the technical aspects that they need to rehearse and need to practice? You know, and I think that's something that, that definitely we'll, we'll always put some skill development activities within our sessions. And which then leads me to the question which is often uh, leveled at Northern Hemisphere coaches uh, is that they they don't look at the detail uh, and so let's say we are looking at the detail 
how do you intervene? What do you say to players to improve that detail? Because there is a danger, as you say, in that you uh, spend a lot of time talking. Yet, what sort of things are you looking for specifically? I mean, again, you'd have to give an example maybe to illustrate this. And how would you then intervene? You see a player doing something poorly. Maybe their passing is not working as well as it should. What sort of intervention with uh, you're going to do, which is going to make the most difference? Well, again, I think that it's an interesting thing when you're developing skill because if you say that if you get too technical with players, the players have to understand what the action is and how they, and how to complete the action. But if you get too technical and concentrate on too many technical points at once, what happens to the player is that they rather than just being relaxed and and, and playing the game or, or completing the action, they're overthinking on the technical points you're putting in. So what I like to do is I like to set up practices where it is a game, it is a competition, and the player is thinking about winning the game, winning the competition, trying to make the most passes, trying to beat the opposite number. But I'm actually, whilst the player is doing that, I'm actually really subtly focusing on the technical points they want to work on. So I'm actually like triggering them with 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 some of my interjections you know, are you pushing your hands through, for example? But rather than them thinking about that, they're actually thinking about just winning the game and winning the, the competition. So, what happens then? Uh, let's say, um, and there was a, there was an example over the weekend. This this uh, one of the South African players did this extraordinary sort of um, almost like a netball pass, basketball push pass, spin pass. Now, what happens if your player comes along and they are doing a netball push pass for a short pass? Now, let us assume for this moment that that's the that's not the best way to do it. How would you intervene on that? Because they are they don't seem to have that ability to do the normal a normal push pass. Well, again, I, I think is it our job as coaches to stop that creativity? I don't think it is. You know, and actually, I think the thing about completing skill under pressure is that it doesn't always look the same. But if the outcome's right. We should be embracing that and encouraging it. And certainly there's a way we'd like the players to pass. But equally, we also want players to adapt in the situation and make good decisions based on, on, on what the, the pressure they're under. And I think that example you were talking about, it was a brilliant piece of skill. And it might not have been the conventional way to pass, but I think as coaches, we should be encouraging players to be creative and pushing it. What our challenge on as a coach is not necessarily the action they make, but the decision they made. Was it the right decision? Why did you make that decision? What what, what caused you to make that type of pass rather than pass conventionally? And as long as they can articulate that, then actually, I think that's okay, Dan. That would be my, my take on it. Okay, then uh, just taking that one stage further, there was a great tackle um, for those people who can remember by Keith Earls uh, covering back for Ireland versus Italy when he pulled down the player um, who the Italian player had made a break in the late on in the game. His head position was incorrect. It was in front of the player, but it was it was a good tackle. Now, let's say the player is going in to score a try over the line. If you make a conventional tackle in the corner, um, you have your head behind the, uh, the shorts of the player, uh, the ball carrier. Um, a more effective tackle might be what the American footballers call a slice tackle is when you actually have your head in front. Now, that's obviously has some dangers in it, uh, yet may actually stop a try. 
how would you deal with a situation like that? I know that's throwing a bit of a curveball at you there, George, but I'm sure you can cover yeah, it. I, I, well, how would you deal with that? It's an interesting question, Dad. But, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes things are different. Like I would say tackling and tackling technique, that is a safety issue. So certainly as a coach, you would be looking at, no, no, you're going to get hurt if you throw yourself or, or if you throw your head in front of the player's legs like Keith Earls did in that situation. I get that the action was positive, but definitely I think there's an onus on us as coaches on things like tackling, like scrummaging, you do need to probably be more up the tail spectrum at times because they do need to understand the technical implications and the technical requirements of that skill. With something like we were talking about previously, like passing, there's no danger in making a pass like that. So actually, you can let the players be more creative on that and you can get the players more experiment on that. Um, Yeah, so I I definitely think there are definitely certain parts of the game such as tackling where getting your technique right is absolutely paramount and so talking about technique and your experiences of coaching with different um, coaches from around the around the the hemispheres what's been your impression of that if there is a difference between the attitude and culture of southern hemisphere and northern hemisphere coaches is there one is there one that you can discern uh, I don't think so. I think you know. I think there perhaps was ten years ago. Um, we've been lucky at Bath. We obviously we've got some fantastic coaches in Todd Blackadder, um, and I've learned a lot, an awful lot, of Toby Matson, who was the head coach here before he left. Um, and definitely, they have an extremely positive mindset about how the way they, they want the game played. But I think so do we in this country. I definitely think your original question to me about what impact the league has. I think that does have an impact on how much freedom we can play with. But I, if you're asking me, uh, I think there's plenty of quality coaches in this hemisphere with a similar mindset about how the way the way they want the game played. And I think you know you, you you'll see across um, the games, the Six Nation games, there's some been some outstanding rugby, and I think that shows that you know we are changing in this hemisphere and the, the fast flowing game that's played in the, in the southern hemisphere. But uh, we are certainly uh, catching up with them. And therefore, just taking on, on your point about freedom, some players come through certain systems and they may be reaching you or a coach and they haven't played with much freedom. What sort of things can we give them or help them to let them become looser and more able to express themselves creatively? Again, my my biggest point on that one, Dan, is that particularly when you're developing young players, in my role as assistant academy manager, I need to encourage my players to experiment. They need to go out and then sometimes that might mean that they make mistakes in the process of doing that. However, that is when learning happens. Um, I think we can't restrict players. We need to encourage them. When they get up to some of the elite professional teams, there may be times where they may be in some ways constrained because of the pressures of the game, the pressures of the result. However, um, it's very hard to change people at that age. I think what we can do is when we're developing young players, this is the golden age where they do need to, they play rugby because they enjoy it. They don't play because they've been paid at this stage. They go and play it, they enjoy it. We need to encourage them to go and express themselves, to be creative and go and, you know, have that freedom that we've already talked about in this interview to play, even if that means at times they will make mistakes doing it. So, I mean, what comes across is the enormous amount of enthusiasm you've got for it. So is, and to want to play with freedom. So 
in terms of the coach and the way that they express that, apart from their own enthusiasm, what sort of things are you saying to them on a constant basis? Are you saying, don't worry about the mistakes? Are you saying, uh, it doesn't matter if we if you do this in our in our 22, I don't worry about the exits? Or is it more subtle than that? Um, yeah, my, my advice to coaches would be, uh, I suppose, number one is try and keep things simple, try and keep the game simple. I think definitely at times, um, I see a lot of coaches that actually make things more complicated for players. The game is pretty simple. At times, it's the coaches who make it complicated. So my first point would definitely be the more simple the game is normally the better the game is and the more transfer the players will get from it. Uh, my second point would be, um, I think there's that previously we've um, perhaps done a lot of overloaded attack versus defence games. I think we're, like, so you're playing sort of 15 v 9. I think where possible, we need to be playing um, 11 v 11 or 8 v 8, where players are put under a similar pressure to what they put under a game and they have to work out how to get out, how to problem solve within that game and I suppose my last point is back to and I mentioned this already Dan is I, I would really encourage players to keep a real flow and tempo in the session I think too many huddles really stifles the freedom that you allow players to play with if you're constantly talking as a coach that's and you're not really replicating what the game is actually like so I think there's a real um, if, we, if you want to play the game fast you need to train fast so definitely a real emphasis on coaching on the run more, um, a real emphasis on, on on not having too many huddles. Brilliant. George, that's fantastic. And I like the way that you've sort of summed that up in terms of the tempo of training and also the sense that these things aren't uh, too far from anybody's reach. It's just that confidence to to go for it and to make mistakes yourself. Be open to new ways to do things and create flow for yourself just as much as for the players. So, I mean, I know we can carry on on this uh, for a long time and there's plenty more questions I want to ask, but we've, we've covered some great stuff there. So George, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Dan. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and some you know, fantastic insights and great takeaways for the coaches. Uh, just a bit of housekeeping. This podcast is released fortnightly on a Wednesday so please head over to the blog tab on the rugbycoachweekly.net website to catch up on any episodes you've missed. So I'd like to thank you all for listening. And again, a great debt of thanks to George for your insight. Thanks, George. Thank you. And uh, really look forward to speaking to George again and to you all very soon.